Thank you. <clears throat> giving keys. I'm wearing my giving key. Thank you. I'm wearing my giving key today. I just got it for my birthday from my wife. It's called, the word on this is awaken. And uh, so I love it. I'm not ready to give it up yet. So don't admire it too much. Um, I'll tell you what, I know we're doing spiritual calisthenics, but why don't you stand back up? We're burning a few extra calories and uh, I'm gonna read the word. I love to stand when we do that, just to honor what has been breathing on our generation. You guys are quiet this morning. Have you had enough coffee? Are you okay? Okay. I, even though you're quiet, though, it just feels good. Does it feel good in here to you guys like it does to me? It just feels good. Yeah, peace. That's a good word for it. There's so much peace in the room. During worship, Cedric, um, I was watching you worship, and the Lord showed me a balance. And a balance is, um, you know, it's like a weighted system where you can put weight that you know on one side. And then, you know, back in the day, they'd put grain on the other side to see how much you were, you were getting and how much you had to pay for. And I just, I, I had an overwhelming sense of God's pleasure over you whenever I saw that, that balance. And the Lord took me to a number of, of words that that balance represents and I'm just going to throw them out there and let them resonate where, and let them fall wherever he chooses to place them. But balance, justice, equality, fairness, these are the things I believe that the Lord is stirring within your life and in your heart, that he's created a mission inside of you to accomplish. You are a man that carries so much authority. And I don't know if you realize that yet or not, what the Lord is doing in your life and in your heart, but I sense like he's put a key in and he's turned the ignition and he's revving the car. Like it's not driving yet, but he's revving it louder and louder and louder, letting, letting you hear the capacity of the car before it's ever put into gear. And so I just release onto you a new, a new desire for the character that is being deepened and strengthened in your life, the ability to hear God's voice. In fact, I, I believe that you've been sensing a pulling towards the Lord as of late, a hunger and a thirst that is developing, which by the way, the Lord, I feel like just reminded me, it's a very direct result of what we're doing on Monday nights. On Monday nights, we've been praying for hunger and thirst to swell among us. And the Lord is kind of tying this to that. So the people that have been coming on Mondays and praying, I just want to encourage you. I want you to see the fruit of what you're doing right now, because the Lord is, it's like a pot of soup that isn't quite at a rapid boil, but it's enough pops here and there that you know it's about to do something. And the Lord is, is it's not that he's not been doing something, but you know that there's something more and there's something greater coming on your life. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for Cedric. God, I, I just sense and I know that he is a man after your own heart. 
God, he walks in such authority. And God, the boldness that he's going to need for the road that you're taking him down, I ask supernaturally that heaven's boldness will just invade his mind, his spirit, his soul in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you what you're doing in his life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say amen, amen. amen. Did that resonate with you? Okay. Jeremiah 29, 11, 14a. We're in this series. This is the final part of Life Hacks. Unlocking your potential. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14a. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you, everybody say, then me. I hope after five weeks of saying then me that you're getting the point. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much for what you're doing among us, God. I just thank you for the peace that is in this room. God, you are setting the stage for some massive emotional breakthrough today in families. And God, we thank you in advance for that. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen. amen. All right, now, because you're so quiet, you have punishment, and that is you have to meet somebody again. You have to meet a new somebody. So meet somebody else, and then you may be seated. Have you enjoyed the series we've been in, Life Hacks? We've talked about the three chairs, the one chair of commitment. Uh, this is first chair, living all in. This is the chair of compromise, where on occasion you are committed to self rather than to Christ. So you find yourself vacillating pretty often between one and the other. You're all in, then you're all out, or you're all in and then kind of out. And then we have the conflict chair. These are the people that haven't yet said yes to Jesus. I like to call them pre-saints. Just because God's after them, they're going to say yes in Jesus' name, but they haven't yet. But their soul is in conflict. They may be living the bougie life, but their soul is still in conflict. I've been loving this series. We've hit different topics along the way. Today, though, I extended last week's sermon. I had too much material last week. There was no way I was going to get through it anyway. It was wishful thinking, but I couldn't end the series without talking about emotional wounds, childhood wounds. And you have that in your notes. You're welcome to take notes. If you need a pen, just raise your hand. Our ushers will have them to you. Some on the front row here, because we want you to get this information. Um, what, what are hidden wounds of children? They are emotional injuries that sabotage relationships between parents and kids. Now, if you're not a parent here today, that's all right. Um, this still applies. Number one, you could help someone else with this information. Or number two, you might be a parent someday. Or number three, um, you might recover from your childhood by understanding some of the difficulties that we parents face. Can I get a good amen from parents who want to do the best but don't always make the greatest decisions in life? So we're giving grace to all of us today. Emotional injuries that sabotage relationships between parents and, and kids. And it's not just kids. This is anybody. Emotional wounds can happen with people at work, with family, with brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, aunts, aunties, aunties, aunts. 
uncles. Tia, Tia, my favorite, Tia. It can happen with anyone, anyone. Um, they account actually for the majority of long-term parenting problems that we see. Um, when biblical guidelines for parenting are followed, but we don't get traction while parenting, we, we think, I'm doing everything that the Bible tells me to do. Chances are there are hidden emotional wounds that you don't see, you don't account for, and the chances are good that your child doesn't even know the emotional wounds are there because it's been swept um, under the carpet. How many of you remember as a kid, mom or dad would tell you to go clean something, clean your room, and you wouldn't clean and put everything back where it belongs. You would shove it under the bed, in the closet. This is what we often do with things, and we say the room is clean, but the room is not clean. I spent some time this week organizing my garage. I should have brought a picture just for a proud moment of what I did with my tools. If you're my Facebook friend, you can see what I recently did. Um, it took 45 years. <laughs> I'm, I'm 45 now. I knew while Micah was in the house, it was pointless to organize tools. Um, now that Jordan and Tristan care more about video games than messing with my tools, I figure it's a safe, it's a safe bet. So I spent a lot of time uh, someone commented, though, on my post, jeesh, why does anyone need that many tools? How, how does any human need that many tools? And I thought about it, I kind of chuckled inside, and I thought, well, I, had, I needed not as much as I had, but I needed more than I could find. Does that make any sense? I didn't need all those tools because I already had them somewhere. That's why if you look at my picture, there are three hammers. Why? Why do you need three hammers? Two at most, because Carrie and I are the only ones that use the hammer. They were allowed to use the hammers in the house. But I had three. The, the problem is, though, I can walk in the garage and think, I've got everything, I'll get to it. But later on, when I actually need the tool, it, it takes so much time to find what I need that then it's just easier to go and, and buy it, and I have a cost. There's an additional cost because I haven't taken inventory and I can't account for what's in the room. And we have to do that with our emotional wounds, don't we? We can't just assume that our kids' rooms are clean. We have to help them take inventory and account of what's in the room. Because let me just tell you something. There are things in your kids' rooms that they didn't place there and you didn't place there. Those things were sent on assignment by the enemy to create distraction, to create diversion, to create disunity, a whole lot of Ds. We have to know what's in our kids' rooms. And by the way, if your kids are 42, 43, 44, I'm still talking to you because they still need a mom and a dad. We have to help our kids understand what healing from emotional wounds looks like. Injured relationships are the major hidden force that drive our children away from first chair living. We want desperately for our kids to be the first chair kind of Christian, right? The one that's all in all the time, the one, the one that goes to God when they need something, they, the one that finds their emotional security, their, their self-esteem, their confidence, everything in Christ. But injured relationships will drive your children from the first chair quicker than any other thing. So it's, it's imperative that you and I talk about 
hidden wounds of our children. When we, when we allow children to have hidden wounds, or we allow ourselves to have hidden wounds, it creates a root of resentment. Everybody say resentment. Bitterness. Say bitterness. I don't want a root of bitterness. It just sounds bad, right? A root of bitterness, R-O-B, it just robs you. A root of bitterness is not good for you. A root of unforgiveness. Everybody say unforgiveness. unforgiveness. All of these may have crept in. Maybe not. I hope not today. I hope I'm talking to a room full of perfectly 100% healthy individuals. But if it has crept in, let me just tell you the outcome is one thing. It's called isolation. Resentment creates isolation. Bitterness creates isolation. Unforgiveness creates isolation. True, deep, meaningful connection is the antidote. Deep, meaningful connection is the antidote. Connection with God and each other. Did you know that we we often assume, oh, there's healing when I'm connected to God. That's how I can do church at home. But did you know that there is healing in the waters when we're connected to one another? Because you carry something that I don't carry. And when we partner up our faith together, I get access to that which you carry. Connection is the antidote to almost anything that you and I deal with, especially in parenting. This is why it's critical that you and I talk today about the hidden wounds of children, because I want you to connect with your kids better than you ever have before. And listen up, it's not too late. It is not too late for that which the enemy has taken to be returned and a whole lot more. Connection is the cure. The opposite, by the way, let me just give you a few examples to convince you that connection is the cure. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's connection. I talked about Rat Park months ago and how we did all these tests. Not we. Yeah, I put on my lab coat. I did all these tests on rats, got them addicted to heroin, but then found out when they made friends and they were connected, they didn't need the heroin anymore. Connection broke the addiction, not sobriety. The opposite of insecurity is not confidence. It's connection. When I know who I am in the group and I'm connected to you and I don't have to worry that you're thinking something and not sharing it with me and I don't have to be on pins and needles, true, authentic connection builds my confidence. That is the opposite of insecurity. Another one, the remedy to pride is not humility. It's connection. When I'm connected to you and I see your faults and you see mine and we're in this thing together and there's vulnerability, I don't need to step on you to get higher. I want to lift you up. And I know that when I'm connected to Carlos and I lift Carlos up, that I get lifted up too. Because the things I'm, I'm pushing up and holding on to as they elevate, it pulls me up too. Connection is the antidote to pride. To build more humility in your life, you guessed it. Connection. There will, there's nothing that I can think of that will make me and build more humility in my life than true authentic connection. When I, when I don't have to put on a facade in a show and make you think I'm all that in a, a bag of talkies. 
when I can just be real and be me and, and we can just be in relationship and be connected, true humility comes. I, I then have this overwhelming desire to sit in the first chair and to be here to serve you, not be served by you. Connection will do that to you. True, authentic, healthy connection will cause you to want to serve others more than they serve you. So how many would agree with me that connection is pretty important? Have I, have I convinced you of that? Connection brings awareness, acceptance, purpose, motivation, accountability, and a whole list of benefits. If soul wounds cause isolation and push people away, why does that happen? Well, I don't want them to hurt me anymore. They don't believe in me. They don't love me. They don't, they don't see things the way I do. Does it make sense to you that soul wounds cause isolation? Birds of a feather flock together. When I say isolation, that doesn't mean you alone in your room. It means like-minded people only in your room sitting at your table. And there is nothing worse. The only thing worse than being alone is being around a bunch of people that have the same wounds as you. Oh, let me say that one more time. That wasn't even in my notes, so I should probably write that one down for next service. The only thing worse than being alone is being in a room full of people that have the same soul wounds as you. Because then you justify each other and you fan the flames of the fire and you get each other convinced that the way you were done wrong was the other person's fault and you had no responsibility in the matter. Soul wounds push individuals to isolate. And, and I want to take you to scripture because at the end of the day, you and I have to clean up these soul wounds. I didn't coin this phrase, but I love it. And I wish I had thought of it. Somebody said, I don't know who it was. I hope it's an okay person. Um, I hope I'm not like pointing you to Satan or something, but the saying says you, you're walking around something to the extent I should have planned this something to the extent of you're bleeding all over the people who didn't cut you. Isn't that powerful imagery? When we don't deal with the soul wounds, we end up bleeding on the people who didn't cut us. So I want to take you to scripture, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Um, go back to verse 6 again. I will send the prophet Elijah to you, uh, verse 6. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents the original text there, I don't know why this is translated as parents. I'm not going to necessarily take issue with that. But I will tell you this. just want you to be aware you can make your own judgment. The original text says fathers. And I believe that when the Holy Spirit says a word, he means the word. Um, the Hebrew word is ab, ab. And it means quite literally and somewhat figuratively fathers. So it could be your father, your father's father, your great-great-granddaddy, a forefather even, which could be men and women. But I want to I really think about this in terms of fathers for a moment. He will turn the hearts of the fathers 
to their children and the hearts of the children to their, their fathers. That was in Malachi chapter 4. That's the last book of the Old Testament. After Malachi, God goes silent for 400 years. 400 years. We don't hear from God. We don't see the miraculous. We don't, we don't know anything. Then the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all take into, um, or they all tell the same story, but through different lens, a different perspective. And I want to take you to Luke. So we've just gone 400 years without hearing from God. Probably one of the last things God said to people on earth in Malachi was, hey, dads, turn your hearts towards your children. Children, turn your hearts towards your dads, right? And we can use parents too. It's, it's just as effective. Hey, parents, turn your hearts towards your kids. And kids, hey, kids, kids, turn your hearts towards your parents. Then in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, pick up on what he's doing here. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Which John are we talking about? John the Baptist. I'm glad you asked. You know, John the Baptist, the one that was preparing the way for the Lord. Yes? He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, here it is. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So how do we prepare for the Lord? We get the parents to turn their attention to their kids and their kids turn your attention to the parents. God loves family. He loves family. This is why the enemy is after your family. You don't think that you are exempt and don't think that you're a lone ranger. If your family is in crisis today, you're in good company because the enemy is after every single family in the room. It's not, it's not just you. And listen, if you are hidden in Christ, I can give you a 100% money back guarantee. He will not win. Satan will not win if you are hidden in Christ, if you continue this first chair living. I believe that the Lord wants fathers to turn their hearts to their kids and kids turn their hearts to their parents. But did you notice it's like both? It's not just saying, hey, parents, look at your kids. It's both. Both need to turn their heads. If we look at culture and society today, we, we can often see culture trying to get the parents to turn their head into a different direction, a distraction, making more money, getting a bigger house, getting a boat, getting debt-free, even worthy goals. Did you know even Good goals, worthy goals can take the place of what God wants to do in your life. So, so we focus on that next thing, that next deal, that next whatever it is that we individually want while our, our kids are just kind of teaching themselves and growing up alone because mom and dad are too busy. That's what culture, no, we don't do that here. We know better than that. But that's what culture wants parents to do. The rat race right? 
Are you with me? I know this is foreign because we don't do this. We, we, don't, we don't spend too much time at work. We don't spend, at least in this service, second service, I'm not sure, but in this service, we don't spend hours on Facebook and social media while our kids are in the other room on their apps and social media. No, we don't do that in, in this room. Oh, and while I'm speaking about kids, do you see the enemy trying to distract them? Social media, YouTube, all, all the things that can, I, I almost wish. No, I don't. Yes, I do. I don't know. I may regret this after I say it. I almost wish I was a kid in this generation because it looks so fun. But the reality is I was such a messed up kid. I don't think I could handle that many options. So I'm not sure that I would go back and be a kid in today's culture. But I do know one thing. The enemy is after our kids. He's trying to get our kids distracted and not focused on the family and focused on dads and focused on moms. But what I love about Luke, and I hope Luke chapter 1 and about Malachi chapter 4, both um, of these passages show that the sin of fathers turning away from the Lord into disobedience, so the sin of dads doing their own thing and not following the Lord, is directly related to the fathers turning their hearts away from their kids. There's a direct link here. Now, this is, this is the, the crux of my message, so I hope you get it. It doesn't sound too profound until you think about it a moment. These passages say that as I lean into disobedience from the Lord, I lean away from my kids. And conversely, as I lean away from my kids, I step into the disobedience of the Lord. Now, this should rattle you up when you stop to realize for a moment the fatherlessness of our generation. You see, the enemy's not just after families to destroy families, but he understands that if he can get dads to lean away from kids, if he can cause kids in a generation to be fatherless and the dads are doing their own thing, he's got their soul for eternity. Because as fathers walk away from their kids, they walk away from the Lord. Now, kids, this doesn't give you a right to go up to dad and say, hey, dad, I'm keeping you saved. Do my chores. You, you don't get to do that. But isn't that an interesting correlation? Dads are important, by the way. And I know this is not Father's Day. Is it all right if I just celebrate dads for a moment? It's not Father's Day. I know that um, I know that it's not Father's Day because we have a big crowd here today. Did you know that Father's Day, according to Lifeway Research, is the number one least attended church day of the year? Scary, isn't it? Mother's Day is the third most attended day of the year, just behind Christmas and Easter. Now, what does that say? I'm glad you asked. I don't know. <laughs> it could say a couple of things. It could say that, that churches use Father's Day 
as a way to whip dads into line. I hope we don't do that. I don't think that we do that. But it could say that. The stats could say that. The stats, the stats could say that fathers um, don't do guilt trips to get their family to church like moms do. I mean, it could, the stats could say that. Go dads, that's one for us. Um, it, it could say that dads prefer to be celebrated on the lake rather than in a room. Uh, maybe. It could say that. I don't actually know what it says. I mean, I'm giving you several options. You can decide and claim that you're right. I just don't know. Here's what I do know. I know that as men, we carry a great authority. Did you know that if a child comes to know Jesus, if they're the first one in their home and they come to know Jesus, there is a 3.7% chance that everyone else in the home will come to know Christ if a child does. I mean, that's, that's huge. That, that's huge because if you just get a four-year-old and e-kids wanting to come back, like parents will listen to their four-year-old crazy kids and get them to church. You know what I mean? Um, if the wife, love women, love you, oh, I mean, love one in particular, but I mean, I'm not. <laughs> if, let me just, if the wife is the first to come to know Jesus, I want to get this stat correct, stat correct. If the mom is the first to become a Christian, there is a 17% chance, probability, that everyone in the house will come to know Christ. So it jumps from, I said 3.7, but it's actually 3.5% for the kid up to 17% for the mom. Now, if the dad, if the father is first, if he comes to know Jesus Christ, there is a 93% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. 93% chance that everyone else in the household will follow. If a father does not go to church, even if the wife does, but the father does not go to church, one in 50, one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper as they get older. One in 50, if the dad doesn't go. If the dad does go regularly, regardless of what the mom does. So, you know, Mom stays home, dad goes anyway, like my dad does. There is two-thirds to three-quarters percent. Two-thirds, so what is that? 66.6% to 75% chance that the kids will attend church as adults. Dads, you matter. Fathers, you matter. And I get that we, culture, we, we've bought into this fatherless generation, but not in this church. In this church, we are built on the backs of strong, God-fearing men who lead their families strong, who love deeply. And dads, I want to challenge you or encourage you to seek out these soul wounds, these hidden wounds of your kids. Now, let me tell you how to do that. I'm going to go a couple minutes over. Is that all right? Because I had to get to my five points. That are real quick, by the way. Some of you said, oh, we're going to be here through second service. No. No, you're not. I, I want to help you deal with these hidden wounds. Now, listen, this, this is scary. 
there's an ancient Chinese saying that says run after the dragon. And, and uh, small Asian boys know this saying to mean tackle your fear, run after your fear. If we have a saying in our house, we don't say run after the dragon, we say do it afraid. And it may be scary as I talk about these soul wounds, about uncovering them, ripping the band-aids off, peeling back the scabs so it can actually heal correctly in light of the goodness and grace of the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage you to run after this fear. Oh, and by the way, next week we start a series called Haunted House that's going to address fear for like three or four weeks. We're going to kick fear in the you-know-what. But the first thing that we need to do to heal the wounds of our children is deal with our own our own heart wounds. So many of us are trying to create healthy families and we are dysfunctional ourselves. We're trying to create healthy kids, but it's being birthed out of injury. You understand that healthy parents create healthy children, not wounded parents, hurt people, hurt people. And hurt people create people that hurt people. So we have to look at ourselves first and ask ourselves, what are any of the soul wounds that we have, the, the hidden wounds that we have? And, and we have to get serious with it. Like take yourself out the coffee, just you and yourself and Jesus. And say, Lord, just reveal to me the areas of my life that need healing. Take me back to when I was three, when I was four, when I was seven, when I was eight, when I was 12 when I was 14, like, take me back, Lord. What, what is inside of me that has been brewing that has created a current of my life? And what needs healing? And then allow the Lord to do it. Can I just say to you that you don't need someone to be sorry for you to offer that forgiveness? I'm gonna say that again. If I choose to forgive someone that has wounded me as a kid, I don't need them to be repentant and apologize. Forgiveness starts with me. Forgiveness allows me to be free from the pain of my past, right? Some of you here today need to forgive people and you're thinking, I am not going to that person and you don't have to. That is the beauty of true forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice between you and God. Now, it would be great if everyone that offended you were truly sorry. That would be great. But we're talking about you today. We're not talking about someone else. So their response doesn't matter at all. But it would be nice if they said they were sorry. So I want to apologize to you for something. For those of you here that have been hurt by the church, by some church, maybe this church, who knows? A church, the organization of the church. I still believe in all of her flaws. Oh, and by the way, parishioners are not the only ones that can get hurt by the church. Pastors can too. My wife and I have gone through our own seasons of having to recover from you. Not you, but I'm saying parishioners. Not you, but you know what I mean? Like you don't get, you don't get, the, the, you don't get to wear the badge if you're the only one wounded by the church. We all, because the church is made by human people. 
We want messed up, broken people here. We want people who, who don't say the right things and don't do the right things. You know why? Because we're going to love them into wholeness. I can't imagine anyone walking through that door and us saying, oh, I'm sorry, you're too offensive. Go to the next church. Go to Shoreline. Let them deal with you. Like we wouldn't do that. We would embrace them and all of their nastiness and their mess because that's what Jesus would do. But you know what? I don't want to discount either the very real pain that the church can cause. So to you today, I apologize. On behalf of my colleagues, on behalf of the ministry, on behalf of men and women of God, can I just tell you that we never meant to hurt you? We never meant to elevate ourselves. We never meant to to run after whatever it is that you felt like we ran after instead of, of running after what you needed from us in that moment. We were honestly, I'm probably speaking for 98% of the past, well, 100% of the pastors I know would share this with you. I'm sure there are pastors that I don't know in this area or in the nation, but they would honestly tell you, and I'm honestly telling you today that my heart has always been towards the Lord. His mission is my number one priority and you are his number one mission. So I apologize on behalf of the church to you and I hope that you'll forgive me and I hope that you'll get rooted and planted in a church because Jesus loves the church. He gave his life for the church. So if that's you and and you're choosing to forgive me right now or the church right now, you've just completed one part of step one, healing your own soul wounds. But then let's turn our attention to our kids. The second step is you have to admit the wounds that you've created. Every parent in the room has created wounds for their kids. And quite honestly, the wounds begin before delivery. So if you have a two-month-old, let me just tell you, there are already wounds, spirit soul wounds, that you have participated in. This is why we need the grace of the Lord to cover us. Not just the grace to cover us, but the grace to empower us to step into wholeness. We got to admit that we've created the wounds. I know you didn't mean to hurt your kids. I'm not here to bash you or flog you. Good grief. We've all done it and it's not been intentional, but let's just admit it because if we can't admit it, we can't own it. And if we can't own it, we can't give it. And if we can't give it, we can't be healed from it. So admit, admit that you've created soul wounds in your kids. And then point number three, Prepare your heart for breakthrough because cleaning up soul wounds is painful. Prepare your heart for breakthrough. This is all done with you and Jesus before your kids. Number four is humble yourself. Humble yourself. You cannot clean up any soul wounds with anyone in a spirit of pride. You can't approach it with this need to teach them that you were really right when you did what they got wounded by. Humble yourself. Be ready to hear anything they have to say, no matter how ridiculous it is, how absurd it sounds. Don't even come to the table ready to justify or I did that because you did this. Just be humble and your ears open and your mouth shut. Humble yourself. And then point number five, the fifth step 
step is ask for forgiveness. So this is what this looks like. I don't want to sit in that chair. I actually, I actually did this with one of my kids this week. Hey man, um, by the way, you schedule time with them. It's not on your calendar and your schedule. It's their convenience and you make it special. And you say, hey, can, do you have a few minutes that we could sit down and chat? And they'll say, really, why, what? And they'll text you every two minutes wondering why you want to talk until you do. And, and then when they say yes, then you say, um, you sit down with them and say, hey, I just really, and you say what's on your heart, but I'm going to share what I would say if, if I were to do this um, with your kids as you. I would say, you know, the Lord's doing a lot in me lately. A lot. And I know that we have a good relationship, and you're probably, you may even think this is ridiculous, but I was thinking that back, you know, when you were um, seven, and I did that thing, and you, we never really talked about it, we never really resolved it, but I'm sure that it impacted you and it hurt you in some way. And I just, I want you to know that I'm really sorry about that. My goal was never to hurt you. My goal was never to push you away. And I don't want to justify it at all, but I am asking, will you forgive me for that? 100% your kids will say yes. No doubt. When you approach them in humility and vulnerability, transparency, and you're building what? Connection, true connection with them. The floodgates of communication are going to open. And then you're going to ask this question, is there anything else? What am I missing? What is there a time that you, you've been kind of holding on to, thinking about, you know, kind of annoys you, you don't like, or I hurt your feelings? Can you think of a time that that happened? 100% they're going to think of a time that that happened. And no matter what they say, you keep your game face on because we're not going to minimize it. We're not going to act like it's no big deal because it was a big deal to them. And our goal is not to justify ourselves. Our goal is not to make us look good. Our goal is, is not to like prove that we're the dad and we're the mom. Our goal is to create a safe place where they can hand us our heart, hand us their heart, and we can see it beating for a moment. And we can ask the Lord to bring healing to it. And we can hand it back and put it in a place where we can move forward. Here's what I've had to learn. Soul wins can happen. I know I'm, I'm really behind, but I've got to, I'm going to wrap up on this, but I just feel like I got to say this. Soul wounds can be when people sin against you, but soul wounds can also be circumstances. When I was 12, well, first of all, um, when I was much younger, I was uh, molested by a relative uh, and it impacted the trajectory of my life significantly. Um, and then when I was 12, I lost my best friend in a car accident. He was in a coma, your uncle. He was in a coma 
uh, for quite some time. I was in sixth grade, seventh grade, believing Jesus was going to heal this dude. He didn't in the way I wanted. And then it was only, it was months before that, actually, that my cousin died. Your uncle. At my house. While we were, we were playing, he died in front of me. We were out in the country, Starflight Rescue. We lived in Copeland, had acreage and horses. Then uh, somewhere in the mix there, my grandmother died. I was at her house when she passed away. And those soul wounds taught me that if I love too deeply, that it's going to be stripped away from me. So as a result, I learned to self-sabotage. I would self-sabotage before I had the opportunity to be wounded by life. Those are soul wounds that life gave to me, not any person. But you see, I can't be a healthy dad or a healthy husband until I lay those wounds aside. And so I, I want you to stand to your feet. I hope, I know I, I ran super o- over and I apologize for that, but I hope that I painted a picture clear enough that you know what to do on your way out and throughout this week. But today, if you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I just, there are soul wounds that I have that I just need, I need the courage to face. Will you just raise your hand? Thank you. So many of us. We just place your hand on your heart. Heavenly Father, you see the vulnerability of this moment of us just saying, we got, we got to do something, we got to do something quick. God, we need healing in ourselves. So God, every person that raised their hand, I just, I thank you for your grace, not just your grace to cover us in weakness, but your grace, your manifest power that allows us to get from point A to point B. I thank you for the grace that is gonna help us step into a realm of unforgiveness, a step into a realm where we can release bitterness. God, I just thank you that you're bringing wholeness and healing to your people. God, we thank you for this life hack. We thank you, God, that we have full potential in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen.